I uh, <laughs> seem to start a little bit slowly with this kind of thing. We've used the phrase causes and conditions a number of times and the causes and conditions have come together and the mic is on me this evening. I'm glad the conditions uh, have come together that you're still here. It's day four, but who's counting? Part of what I wanted to do this evening, um, and what we do in Dharma talks in general, you know, it's not uh, so much a lecture as it is a sharing. Um, Sometimes we know precisely what we're going to say, and sometimes we don't know too much. Um, So part of my practice um, for myself at this moment is to kind of show up with you in this way, and to share some Dharma reflections. And it's going to be a mystery to me as well what, um, what comes out. And there's a volunteer here whose uh, birthday it is. Um, he's here for a month or for a while. So first, I want to say happy birthday to that uh, good friend. And I mentioned him because he, he offered something that you'd like to hear something reflected on, which was uh, that on his birthday, it's a time that he tends to think, what is the meaning of life? What is this thing we're doing? What is the meaning of life? I think that's something that touches us uh, at times. Oftentimes it seems to come up at uh, birthdays, big milestones, uh, a big birthday. I'm 42. I remember at my 40th birthday, my mind spent uh, the preceding week and that day just contemplating what my life has been up to. What's the meaning of this? Do you do that? (laughs) (laughs) sounds like it (laughs) I was wondering how much in Dharma we actually talk about the meaning of life I was thinking about it a little bit uh, and what the path is about why, why is it that we practice You know, I think there's something that's really fundamental in looking at what this life is. What is this life? I think questions of meaning probably are something that's going to be intimately connected with our own history, our own culture, our family. And the Dhamma seems to be uh, somehow universal, kind of extends beyond or it connects us through our conditioning, our 
local conditioning. Yes, yeah, so being in this space with you, I feel in uh, my own way very connected to you, knowing that you're on a journey similar to me, you're wanting to be happy, wanting to understand the heart and mind. I'm sure a week ago, if I had crossed paths with any of you on the street, you would have been much more of a neutral person. You know, if you bumped into me or cut in front of me on the highway, maybe a more aversive person. But here, you know, in this space, there's a sense of familiarity, you know, that we're doing something that's meaningful to each of us. You know, it's something that I value very deeply. You know, when I was thinking about that question, what is, what is a meaning life or what is this life? How do we live it? I think that starts to get to the reasons why we get attracted to a spiritual path or some kind of path that we can practice. begin to recognize that going along, just allowing the momentum of our mind maybe isn't all that there is. There may be more to what's possible. In a very uh, ordinary way, when I was first practicing, and I think it was even in the very first retreat, there was a sense of Okay, my whole life I've been taught how to do some things, like take care of the body. You know, when the body gets a bit smelly, sweaty, bodies do that, right? They, it doesn't go for more than a day or two before it's time to take a shower in most cultures. You know, so we learn how to take care of the body and we learn basic skills of life. And I was amazed in the very first retreat that I did. It's as if I was being given a manual of how to look after the heart, how to look after the mind. And it seems so obvious now after these years of practice that that's something that we would want to do. Is to be given a manual. What is this mind? How do I look at it? How do I open to what's hidden? It seems to be hidden in plain sight. It's our own mind and heart. But somehow it's hidden. So we need the, the tools of the Dharma or skillful means to begin to look You know, I reflect frequently on how the Dharma started. According to the teachings, what's been recorded, there was a prince, Siddhartha, whom many of you know the, the stories, and he was given every pleasure 
rejoin that he could imagine his father uh, wanted to protect him from all the suffering that was in the world. Didn't want him to see the nature of things. Wanted to, to give him the best. And so he, according to the story, was sheltered from truths, the truths that we all know, right? the aging, sickness, and death. And according to what, what the prince at that time was exposed to was everything that was pleasant and everything that he wanted. And one day he went out from the palace and he saw an elderly person and saw someone that was sick and someone that was dying. And in the teachings, these, we call these, even still we say that these are the heavenly messengers or messengers that can wake the mind up. And I've heard it said um, many times from people that have been near loved ones who are passing, that the sense of urgency about life really comes back very clear and wanting to pay more attention, not wanting to get caught up in the squabbles that is so easy to. We can be surrounded by loved ones and not really see them in a fresh way. And then of course a crisis come and again the mind wakes up. So we can see in, you know, there's a certain naturalness to that possibility that the mind wakes up. And then that's what this path can do. How do we do this? So it's not just at a moment of crisis when everything's falling apart. Now I realize I've got limited days and to experience the preciousness of each moment, the newness, the freshness. And that this orientation that we've been offering um, in the practice, we've been talking a lot about the right effort. The effort that we need to put in, in order to be here, in order to watch, and not in order to change or manipulate things. And this takes courage. Am I willing to see the tender sides of things, the vulnerable sides, the places we would normally rush through, get beyond, so we can get comfortable again? As we've been reminding you, Carol was talking about the simplicity of awareness. It's a simple moment of knowing right now, right? It doesn't take much energy, just simply recognizing we're in this room. And I've been astounded that many moments of simple knowing added up together. 
really leads to extraordinary things for oneself. And great change comes through this practice. So I had an incredible phobia in speaking to groups. We're in a big group right now. (laughs) I think it's more obvious to me than it is to you. (laughs) I've had so much gratitude just the sticking with the practice. And knowing that and keep showing up, keep watching difficult mind states, seeing when fear arises, the tendency to get overwhelmed, that happens, it's natural. Anxiety, worry, shame, that's a big one. You know, and just staying with it. Right view comes in. I start to get a sense, someone was mentioning in the group today, just how powerful it was to see this sense of I am. I am blank. We all have our fill in the blank. I am good. I am no good. I am someone that can't be mindful. I am someone that's got it all figured out. I'm someone that doesn't have it all figured out. And he was talking about noticing just in releasing that sense of I am and looking again at what's there, the shift that happens. And that's wisdom. That's a bit of insight. Doesn't seem extraordinary. Probably wouldn't to most people, so don't go telling everyone if you have had that insight. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but we know it for ourselves. It is a shift. It's a new habit of mind sees clear Dhamma. So I was talking about the prince. I love feeling comfortable not knowing what I was saying and why. (laughs) Seems all right. Um, But to carry on with that particular story. uh, So he saw something that was real. Seeing that life isn't pretty. It isn't always pleasant. And then he came across a samana, which means a... a seeker. And this 
further uh, challenged his mind or woke him up to the possibility that there is peace in the midst of conditions. So that set him on his journey. And that journey led him to a path that we are currently practicing. A path that suggests that when we have the courage to stay with our experience, to continue watching moment after moment, the mind begins to steady. Momentum of awareness builds. When we learn how to balance the mind with energy or effort, going too far on one side, creating tension, and then maybe taking it too easy, getting lazy, losing awareness. So we begin to master balanced effort. So mindfulness and balanced effort, the mind gaining concentration, stability, and begins to be able to stay with experience, have more capacity to be with things that were previously too difficult to watch, too overwhelming, creating too much a sense of the story in the mind. And as we stay with that, we begin to see the Dhamma, we see the characteristics. And this is why the Dhamma is universal, is because characteristics are universal. So anything that we've watched so far in our practice on retreat now, And if you've been practicing for years and all the years of practice, anything that we come to watch has these characteristics. Things are impermanent. This moment is changing. And things are unsatisfactory. It's not in their capacity to satisfy the mind in an ongoing way. And then ultimately there's no abiding entity in things. Things are phenomena. They arise according to conditions. It's remarkable that just through a simple act of awareness, everything that needs to be known in our own experience can be known. And so when the Buddha realized what was most important to him, that there is suffering and there is a possibility for the end of the ending of suffering, his teaching began. And here we are. I just have such incredible confidence now that this is a path worth walking because I know I've sat with so much suffering and struggle, confusion, doubt, worry, anxiety. 
pleasant mind states too. And increasingly the mind understands the nature of Dhamma. So this is what we're doing. We're verifying for ourselves: is it true that suffering is part of this reality? It doesn't take long before we realize that that is part of what's here. If we're willing to look, we begin to realize, yeah, if I try and sit still beyond my regular capacity, even that will, will reveal suffering. There was a female teacher in Thailand, I believe I have that right, that she, uh, one of her teachings would encourage yogis to sit still and not move. Until it was, in a way, almost unbearable. But then to move with clear intention, clear knowing. And part of that, I think, instruction was to really awaken just how close suffering is and that how much of all of our shifting and moving about is in a subtle way trying to find the end of suffering. There's a saying in the Dharma that the Buddha said that he could see that beings everywhere were actually trying to find an end to suffering. That's what we all naturally do. And yet, out of delusion and confusion, out of not understanding correctly, we're heading in the wrong direction. And we're trying to get rid of things, trying to hold on to things that are changing. So it's a very subtle teaching, and yet it is the core kind of of what we begin to understand. And so suffering is uh, one of the truths, a noble truth, is the first noble truth. He says the truth to get close to, to understand. We were discussing in one of the groups, does this aspect of dukkha, of suffering, if it's present, if it's true, how is there the possibility of freedom? So one of the things we begin to explore is that the nature of things, those characteristics, one of them is dukkha. In that case, it means unsatisfactoriness. Things are unsatisfying. They cannot bring satisfaction. And then the dukkha of the first noble truth, this suffering, is a dukkha that has a cause. That's the dukkha that we are looking at, that we can bring to an end. It's suffering. Things will always be unsatisfactory. It took me a long time to really tease those two apart, the characteristics of phenomenon, and yet here was a teaching saying that we could come to the end of suffering. So I hope that's 
clear. When the mind is able to be with something that's unpleasant, that is changing, and it's being met with a sense of collected, calm, allowing, free of defilements, of torments. We could say that's a moment of freedom, a small taste of what the path is aiming at. Small moments, many times. We struggle, the mind gets caught, life hurts. So in the practice, that can, that can be another moment of recognizing right. That is the law. That's the lawfulness of this the life and world. Suffering arises when conditions are there. It's been a, kind of one of the key prompts for my own practice. It's like I wait for a sense of suffering for dukkha. It's so clear in my mind that when there is a sense of suffering, that there is a cause, wakes my mind up, I get interested. What's the mind, my mind clinging to? What's it resisting? Is the mind present? Is it clearly knowing? So dukkha now becomes something that it becomes an ally in our path in our life, stops being something that we get scared by. Suffering, if we talk about it in the world, would be something to run away from. I don't want to suffer. You know, personally, I don't want to suffer. But in the Dhamma, I really understand suffering is an incredible vehicle for understanding my own habits of mind, the things that have me bound in this ongoing state of tension, of torment, of things aren't good or aren't right, of confusion. since I'm new to this still. I was telling Carol and Steve, I might only go for five minutes. (laughs) It's been 30. (laughs) Who's counting? (laughs) Gonna wait for a second to see if something else wants to be shared. Um, let's pause here.
And um, just continue sitting for together for 10 minutes or so, and we'll close out.
Thank you for uh, your very kind attention this evening. And if you have the energy, uh, I encourage you to keep going. And if you're back here in the hall, I look forward to practicing with you at that time at our normal 9.15. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.